In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. No, it's not Lent yet. Septuagesima Sunday. Septuagesima is the Latin name for 70th. Next Sunday, if we weren't going to be celebrating uh, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, the Ordinary It's Patronal Feast, we would be doing Sexagesima, and then the following Sunday would be Quinquagesima. That just means 70th, 60th, and 50th. All those are days, not counting Sundays, um, that are till Easter. So this is where the tradition of the church comes from. In the Anglican tradition, we have always had this, um, even though after the reforms of the Vatican II, many Episcopal churches adopted the um, uh, loss of these days. But there's always been Anglican churches that have kept this going, so that when those of us that petitioned to go into uh, full communion with Rome, Rome granted us the uh, permission to continue this tradition. It's also done in the extraordinary form in the, in the Latin Mass um, as, as well, so they would be wearing purple as well today. In Lent, we will have two running themes. On Sundays, um, we, I want us as a community to pray for God's direction, where we, we will be moving in the future and how we are to grow. And so each of the different Sundays, I'm going to be focusing on different things uh, re related to that. On Wednesdays, uh, starting on um, Wednesday, the March 19th, we're going to be going through the, with the men only um, what it means to be a godly man. And this is part of our spiritual growth and maturity in general. Um, and we always need to do this against the corrupting influences of society, but it needs to start with men first. Men have, for the most part, been done a disservice over the past couple of generations about what it means to be a leader, to have character, to develop virtues, responsibility, all of these sort of things. Um, and what the format of those courses is going to be, it's going to be just four, four sessions. And basically it's going to be starting off at the time of prayer, where I'll give a short little 20-minute talk or something, and then we will break out, and the older men will be there to counsel with the younger men. It'll be completely confidential, um, but where a chance to, the younger guys can open up and say, here are my struggles, here's what I, I wanted to deal with. And the older men can say, here is, through my experience, how I've had success in dealing with this, or how I haven't. You know, here's what to avoid, those sort of things. So that's going to go on Lent. But today and in two weeks from now, because next Sunday we're going to be celebrating, I said the, as I said, the uh, Feast of the Chair of St. Peter, we're going to be talking about who we are. Because in order to better discern where we are going in the future, we need to know who we are. And what I mean specifically by that is not just simply as Catholics or even as people who attend Blessed John Henry Newman, but also in the larger Anglican use tradition where we have come from, who we are, and where we are going. One of the first stories, and I've told several of you this story before, so you might be sick of it, but it's one that I hope to, to repeat so much that you can all repeat it back to another generation in the future, is the story of Father Christopher Phillips in the very, very beginning of this in San Antonio, Texas. In 1983, that parish was started with about 15 people that included father and his wife and his two, at the time, two children. The story goes a little bit before, beyond that, before that, though. This was just the first one, the first parish, that, as a Catholic parish, that was erected using um, an approved form of the Anglican liturgy. 
Father was in uh, Connecticut as a, an assistant priest when he felt that he really had to become Catholic. And several of the people from his parish wanted to go with him, but ultimately weren't willing to step out and to actually help him build anything there in Con Connecticut. But providentially, there was a much larger group of about 80 or so people, I can't remember the exact number, uh, in a place far away from him in San Antonio, Texas. He had never dreamed in a million years that he would ever want to go there. But there was a group of people that had um, also left the Episcopal Church for very similar reasons, or actually were contemplating it. They hadn't, they hadn't made the formal move yet. They were contemplating making the move. They had heard about this uh, beginnings of this Anglican use thing, um, and liked the idea of coming in together into the Catholic Church with their liturgy and their culture and everything. So through the grapevine, Father Phillips was contacted, and at this time I believe he was now Mr. Phillips because he had just be been received as a Catholic. And his bishop in Connecticut agreed to have him go down to San Antonio, and uh, that bishop there was willing to sponsor a group and to start an Anglican youth parish with these people. So the story, as I understand it, is out of these 80 people, um, they started going through a time of catechesis in, pre in preparation for their reception into the church upon Father Philip's ordination as a priest. And as the date came closer to the time of reception and to form the church, one by one people began to drop off. Some people didn't want to do it after all. Some people got cold feet. Some people um, didn't want to put in the work of building something from scratch. I don't remember all the reasons, but they were all similar to those sort of things. One by one, people began. So out of that group of original 80, he had 15, and that included his wife uh, and two children. Skipping ahead about almost 30 years, now they are not only the first, but also the largest of the Anglican youth parishes by far. They still have maintained, despite their size, a very good community life. They have still maintained all of their traditions, not only preserving them, but thriving. They have one of the largest Catholic schools in the country and also one of the top-rated Catholic schools in the country. Um, they do amazing things in San Antonio um, and are now outgrowing their property size that they have now. Um, that's our beginning. That's, what's, that's where we've come from. There's a similar story, which I'll relate later, in Houston, Texas, which has now become a very, very large uh, Anglican use parish and, uh, that's now the um, principal church, like our cathedral for the ordinariate, where it meets. But it's their faithfulness to step out and to build and to evangelize, as we were learning about with Gl um, Glenn's uh, class, talking about Pope Francis's um, vision of the new evangelization that he wrote. Um, it's all of that put together that not only made it work, but made it work really well. And it goes down to a point of what Jesus is talking about when he says to his disciples, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What a dilemma that is. Despite the Pharisees continually being challenged by our Lord to stop being legalistic, Despite all of that, these guys were actually very, very, very serious about their faith. They did everything correctly. They might have missed the spirit of it, some of them, but they did it all very correctly. And that's the dilemma we have in front of us, is because 
if we have the right spirit, perhaps, we still may not have the drive to want to do it all correctly. And so how do we even begin to have a righteousness on this kind of level? All of us, in some way, at some point in our lives, I'm sure if you're a normal human being, have felt unlovable, dirty, unclean, distant. One of the things that comes up is when uh, people want to explore being married. And sometimes, and it happens more often than not, sadly, one of the spouses will hide some deep, dark past secret from the other one they don't want them to know about. And they'll carry that into their marriage if they're not careful, and then perhaps later that might resurrect somehow or another. The past catches up, and it's not a good thing. Um, and to avoid that, sometimes they feel, rightly, that they need to divulge this to their future partner before they get married and commit their lives to each other. But oftentimes people are really genuinely afraid of doing that because they feel unloved, they feel dirty, they feel unclean. The same thing goes with ordination. When people begin to explore ordination, some past sin, some past habit, some past action, whatever it may be, comes back, or it's always in their mind, and they feel that they aren't just, are not good enough. And what Jesus says to us in this particular gospel lesson today is that he wants to make that place, that unlovable, dirty, unclean place, our hearts, his home. The second story about our past goes a lot further back before Father Phillips, before 1983. With St. Peter, the Apostle. Remember when our Lord begins to approach the disciples and calling them one by one, some of them have a hesitancy or unsurety about it. They like this guy, he's a charismatic leader, you know, he says a lot of good things, a lot of mysterious things we don't quite understand, but I'm a little skeptical. Maybe this Jesus guy isn't quite who he says he is. Or maybe I'm not sure exactly who he says he is. So this is what Peter, Peter's going through, except till he gets to the point, if you recall in your Bible lessons as children, hopefully, the story of the catching of the fish. Remember, the disciples go out onto the boat, Peter's the ringleader, they're all fishing in Lake Galilee, all night long they can't catch anything, and then Jesus is there kind of twiddling his thumb saying, when are you going to ask me, when are you going to ask me? And they finally, out of frustration, voice their concern, and Jesus tells them, cast your nets on the other side. And, of course, they've taken their boats around all over the place, so it doesn't really matter which side of the, net, the boat that they cast it on. And so Peter's reaction is like, well, heck, we'll go with this. We have, we've tried everything else and it hasn't worked, so why not? But come on, really? I mean, the fish could be here or here. I mean, so he throws it off, and, of course, the story goes that he just gets so many fish that the boat begins literally to sink. That's how many fish there are. And Peter realized he was dealing with somebody that he himself not only was wrong to be skeptical about, but that he didn't even quite get earlier. Now he realizes there's something different. And his response is that when God called him, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And that is exactly the answer to today's dilemma. 
I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, how do we do that? St. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's not saying, as Glenn was telling us before about Pope Francis, Francis is not even saying, God's not saying, that we simply must be Christians, or Catholics, or the right sort of person, or whatever. He is saying that we, may, we must be filled with the fullness of God. God comes inside of us and becomes a part of us. Now here's the clue on that. How do we do that? Well, that's where the Catholicism comes in. Right there. The Eucharist. The Eucharist is the only way that that can happen. Otherwise, it's an idea that you have. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling that you have. It's a motivation that you might have that goes with you for a while. Fleets and fleeting that falls away. And then it's not lasting. Without the Eucharist, Christianity is an ideology. And this is one of the things that we really must focus on, um, that to find holiness, we have to have Christ in us, literally. Um, this past week, I was um, privileged to partake in a youth event um, called the City Lights. I think I remember telling you about this last week. Um, and without anybody um, really arranging it, there was this long line of people that began to develop. And this was in Yost Theater. If you know anything about Yost Theater, it's this typical rock concert with this balcony on the top, you know. And uh, so what we did was we decided that myself and two other priests would sit up there for anybody who uh, wanted to make their confession. And they did the, kind of the modern praise and worship stuff because the whole goal was to try to reach fallen away Catholics in a cultural way that they can understand. And Bishop Van came to check it out because it got so much publicity. Um, and he was so moved about what was going on that he decided not only to stay and kind of check it out, but he decided to lead us in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And while he did that, um, people began to be pointed and word of mouth began to be spread. And they didn't even make a full announcement about it, but people began to go up the long platform to go up to the top balcony to make their confession. And I probably heard about over 100 confessions over the course of about three hours, just people coming and coming, coming, you know. And when we saw the line before we opened the door to let people start coming up to confession, we saw the line, the thousands of people that were there and the lines of people that were coming up to make their confession. One of the guys that I've become friends with who organized the event leaned over to me and he said, the Catholic giant is waking. And that struck with me the whole week because I began to think how accurate this was. Because not only is it happening in a, in, a, in a younger generation in a way that we haven't seen it before, but now we've got the bishop's blessing and involvement in this. I mean, you, you couldn't imagine this about 10 years ago. Catholic bishops actually taking the lead in supporting something like this, a grassroots sort of um, a, a work of evangelism like this. Um, the, the other thing that, that struck me too um, was the fact that this is not just a particular style. This is not just the praise and worship crowd that's doing this. This is a revival when it comes to everything. It's happening with the Latin mass community. You're having extraordinary forms popping up all over the place. Um, you're, you're seeing um, groups of student groups all over campuses 
um, reaching out to people in ways that you've never seen before. Through the media, somebody mentioned uh, Father Robert Barron's ministry, uh, Dustin. That's exactly right. I mean, just going on YouTube and actually having dialogue with people in a way that he, he, you know, we've never seen this before. Um, the complacency that we have seen is really, as Glenn was talking about, the reason that we have the new evangelization. There's nothing really inherently new about it. The reason that we're called to do it is because we really didn't follow that call originally in the first place. And this is not just Catholics. I've been Baptist, I've been Presbyterian, I've been non-denominational and Episcopalian before I became Catholic, and I can tell you that every single one of those always looks to another denomination or another Christian group and says, ah, they've got it, we should model what they're doing. Because we're, we're only preaching to the choir, as it were. We're only te teaching the faith and evangelizing to ourselves, and we're giving each other a pat on the back. Every single group will say that and say, oh, the other people are doing it. The other, but they're not. They haven't been. And you might have one of these revivals, like this, you know, harvest group that does the Angel Stadium, you know, which is fine. It's, it's good in and of itself. It has its purpose. But the problem is that there's no accountability. There's no way to follow up with the people, to plug them into churches and to make disciples of them. And then ultimately, there's nothing fullness. There's no, the fullness, rather, is not there. There's no Eucharist. And that's where we as Catholics need to step in. And we need to awaken that giant. We need to be a, a part of that giant that awakes. And this is the same spirit that, that, that did what they did last Tuesday night. Is actually the same spirit that caused the ordinariate. And um, Kathy, uh, Glenn's wife, um, brought up a, a good point when she was t talking in the class before. She said, um, the Catholic Church really needs to look for ways um, and start initiatives that goes out and really formally evangelizes non-Catholics. And I said, Kathy, that's what this is. This is what the ordinariate is about. This is why we are in existence. We're not in existence to simply preserve Septuagesima Sunday. You know, as nice as that is. We're here to save souls. And every single one of us that's a member of this parish needs to find a way that they can use their unique talents to save souls. Plug them in. You know, start, start something that you have a passion for. Do you have technology background and artist, artistry background? Well, great. You know, help out with the website. Go create some really cool videos. You know, whatever it is. You know, use a music that's your thing. Well, maybe you need to sing. You know, maybe sometimes you need to, um, you know, have a concert or something like that. You know, whatever it is that you have, that you have a, a gift and a talent for. Um, you know, use that and use it to share your faith with non-Catholics. Make new disciples. Um, that is what we are called to be in the ordinariate. That's what we're all about. Um, so this is what I want to encourage us all, myself in, in, included, is to look for this Lent ways in which God might be calling you to use your talents and your abilities, your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever it is, to further the cause of Christ, to further the church, to help awaken this Catholic giant and to be a part of it so that when you look back on this, you say, yeah, I was involved there. That, I was a part of this movement. Rather than saying, no, I was too afraid to step out. You know, I, wasn't, I, was, I was one of those 80 that didn't go with Father Phillips and build that. You know, that's, that's what we really need to be constantly challenging ourselves to look for. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.